0: The Krakatoa Sunsets, Observations by Gerard Manley Hopkins. From the journal Nature, January 3rd, 1884. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The body of evidence now brought in from all parts of the world must i think by this time have convinced mr piazzi smith that the late sunrises and sunsets do need some explanation more particular than he was willing to give them with your leave i should like to point out from my own observations and those of others that given a clear sky and the other conditions put by mr smith the sunrises and sunsets of other days however bright and beautiful have not given any such effects as were witnessed to take an instance here on sunday night december sixteenth i shall speak chiefly of the sunsets first these sunsets differ from others first in their time and their place or quarter Sunset proper is, I suppose, the few minutes between the first dipping and the last disappearance of the sun's disk below the true horizon. The pageant or phenomena we call sunset, however, includes a great deal that goes on before and after this. The remarkable and specific features of the late sunsets have not been before or at sunset proper. They have been afterglows and have lasted long very long after to take instances from your number of the 13th last month mr far russell notices that on november 28th the sun having set at 355 one afterglow lasted until 510 and was then succeeded by another reaching high above the horizon the day before, he mentions the afterglow as lasting to 5.20. On the twenty-ninth, a foreglow is reported, as seen in London from 5.30 to 7.30. That is, more than two hours before sunrise, which was at 7.43. On December 1st, sunset being at 3.53, Mr. Russell observed an afterglow till 5.35. On december fourth the first dawn at six fifty the sun rising at seven fifty the next day dawn at the same time sunrise seven fifty one that evening sunset being at three fifty he observed not a glow only but spokes of rays from the glowing bank at four forty five that is to say sunbeams visible in the shape of sunbeams Fifty-five minutes after sunset. Mr. Johnson Lavis speaks of the afterglow at Naples as at a maximum an hour after sunset. Here at Stonyhurst on December sixteenth, the sun having set at three forty nine, the glow was observed till five fifty. Now, winter dawns and afterglows do not last from an hour to two hours and still less so day after day, as these have done. The recent sunrises and sunsets then differ from others in duration. They differ also in the quarter of the heavens where they are seen. The afterglows are not low, lingering slips of light skirting the horizon, but high up in the sky, sometimes in the zenith. I have further remarked that the deepest of the afterglow is in the south whereas the sun below the horizon is then northing i see that other observers take notice of the same second they differ in their periodic action or behavior the flushes of crimson and other colors after ordinary sunsets are irregular NOT THE SAME NOR AT THE SAME TIME FOR TWO DAYS TOGETHER, FOR THEY DEPEND UPON THE ACCIDENTAL SHAPES AND SIZES AND DENSITIES OF THE CLOUD BANKS OR VAPOR BANKS THE SUN IS ENTERING OR FREEING HIMSELF FROM, WHICH VARY AND CAN NEVER BE ALIKE FROM DAY TO DAY. BUT THESE GLOWS OR FLUSHES ARE NOTICED TO BE PERIODIC BEFORE SUNRISE AND AFTER SUNSET, mr russell furnishes exact estimates of the intervals of time which he finds to be the same day after day third they differ in the nature of the glow which is both intense and lustreless and that both in the sky and on the earth the glow is intense this is what strikes everyone it has prolonged the daylight and optically change the season it bathes the whole sky it is mistaken for the reflection of a great fire at the sundown itself and southwards from that on december fourth i took a note of it as more like inflamed flesh than the lucid reds of ordinary sunsets on the same evening the fields facing west glowed as if overlaid with yellow wax. But it is also lusterless. A bright sunset lines the clouds so that their brims look like gold, brass, bronze, or steel. It fetches out those dazzling flecks and spangles, which people call fish scales. It gives to a mackerel or dappled cloud rack the appearance of quilted crimson silk or a ploughed field glazed with crimson ice these effects may have been seen in the late sunsets but they are not the specific afterglow that is without gloss or lustre the two things together that is intensity of light and want of lustre give to objects on the earth the peculiar illumination which may be seen in studios and other well-like rooms, and which itself affects the practice of painters, and may be seen in their works, notably Rembrandt's, disguising or feebly showing the outlines and distinctions of things, but fetching out white surfaces and colored stuffs with a rich and inward and seemingly self-luminous glow. Fourth. They differ in the regularity of their coloring. Four colors in particular have been noticeable in these afterglows and in a fixed order of time and place. Orange, lowest and nearest the sundown. Above this, and broader, green. Above this, broader still, a variable red, ending in being crimson. Above this, a faint lilac the lilac disappears, the green deepens, spreads, and encroaches on the orange, and the red deepens, spreads, and encroaches on the green, till at last one red varying downwards from crimson to scarlet or orange fills the west and south. The four colors I have named are mentioned in Lieutenant G. N. Biddleson's letter from Umbala. the sun goes down as usual, and it gets nearly dark, and then a bright red and yellow and green and purple blaze comes in the sky and makes it lighter again. I suppose the yellow here spoken of to be an orange yellow, and the purple to be what I have above called lilac. Ordinary sunsets have not this order, this, so to say, fixed and limited palette. The green in particular is low down when it appears there is often a trace of olive between the sundown and the higher blue sky but it never develops that i remember into a fresh green fifth they differ in the colors themselves which are impure and not of the spectrum the first orange and the last crimson flush are perhaps pure or nearly so but the two most remarkable glows the green and the red are not the green is between an apple green or pea green which are pure greens and an olive which is a tertiary color it is vivid and beautiful but not pure the red is very impure and not evenly laid on on the fourth it appeared brown like a strong light behind tortoiseshell or derbyshire alabaster. It has been well compared to the color of incandescent iron. Sometimes it appears like a mixture of chalk with sand and muddy earths. The pigments for it would be ochre and Indian red. Now the yellows, oranges, crimsons, purples and greens of bright sunsets are beautifully pure. Tertiary colors may, of course, also be found in certain cases and places. Sixth, they differ in the texture of the colored surfaces, which are neither distinct cloud of recognized make nor yet translucent mediums. Mr. Russell's observation should here be read. I have further noticed streamers, fine ribbing or mackereline and other more curious textures, the color varying with the texture. In ordinary sunsets, the yellows and greens and the lower reds look like glass or colored liquids, as pure as the blue. Other colors or those in other parts are distinct flashes or illuminations of cloud or landscape. I subjoin an account of the sunset of the 16th which was here very remarkable from my own observations and those of one of the observatory staff a bright glow had been round the sun all day and became more remarkable towards sunset it then had a silvery or steely look with soft radiating streamers and little color its shape was mainly elliptical the slightly longer axis being vertical the size about 20 degrees from the sun each way. There was a pale gold color, brightening and fading by turns for 10 minutes as the sun went down. After the sunset, the horizon was, by 410, lined a long way by a glowing, tawny light, not very pure in color and distinctly textured in hummocks bodies like a shoal of dolphins or in what are called gadroons or as the japanese conventionally represent waves the glowing vapor above this was as yet colorless then this took a beautiful olive or celadon green not so vivid as the previous days and delicately fluted the green belt was broader than the orange and pressed down on and contracted it above the green in turn appeared a red glow broader and burlier in make it was softly brindled and in the ribs or bars the color was rosier in the channels where the blue of the sky shone through it was a mallow color above this was a vague lilac the red was first noticed 45 degrees above the horizon and spokes or beams could be seen in it, compared by one beholder to a man's open hand. By 445, the red had driven out the green and, fusing with the remains of the orange, reached the horizon. By that time, the east, which had a rose tinge, became of a duller red compared to sand according to my observation the ground of the sky in the east was green or else tawny and the crimson only in the clouds a great sheet of heavy dark cloud with a reefed or puckered make drew off the west in the course of the pageant the edge of this and the smaller pellets of cloud that filed across the bright field of the sundown caught a livid green At five, the red in the West was fainter. At 520, it became notably rosier and livelier, but it was never of a pure rose. A faint dusky blush was left as late as 530 or later. While these changes were going on in the sky, the landscape of Ribblesdale glowed with a frowning brown. The two following observations seem to have to do with the same phenomena and their causes. For some weeks past, on fine bright days, when the sun has been behind a big cloud and has sent up, perspectively speaking, the dark crown or paling of beams of shadow, in such cases commonly to be seen, I have remarked upon the ground of the sky, sometimes in amber, sometimes a soft rose color instead of the usual darkening of the blue. Also, on moonlit nights, and particularly on December 14th, a sort of brown or muddy cast never before witnessed has been seen by more than one observer in the sky. Gerard Hopkins, Stonyhurst College, December 21st, eighteen eighty three end of the Krakatoa sunsets observations by gerard manley hopkins from the journal nature january third eighteen eighty four read for librivox by sue anderson